What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing? Welcome to The Cutting Room, the official podcast of AOTG.com, and I'm your host, Gordon Burkell. And this episode, if you're a fan of Homecoming, we've got Franklin Peterson, Justin Crone, and Roseanne Tan to discuss the editing of Homecoming. Now, if you've listened to the podcast Homecoming, or if you've watched the show Homecoming, there is a lot of spoilers in there. So I am giving you a heads up before you start this episode. If you're interested in watching that show, you might want to watch that show, then listen to this episode. With all that said, my usual editor, Carly McKeating, is off in Korea. And we currently have Naraj Patel cutting for us, so thank you to Naraj for doing that. But with all that said, here's my interview with the editors of Homecoming. Hi guys, do you mind if I just have you guys say your name so I know who's who? Sure, uh, yeah. Roseanne Tan. Justin Crone. And Franklin Peterson. Great. My first uh, question for you is, uh, this started off as a podcast, and I'm wondering, as something that's very audio-driven, what were some of the changes that occurred in the post-process for you guys, and how much did you utilize sound as a storytelling tool in the editing room for this project? Sound is a hugely important part of working with Sam. All three of us have worked on Mr. Robot, so we always do a fair amount of sound design when we're working with Sam, even before we get to the mix or whatever. So there were a lot of elements that were in the podcast that went into the show, particularly like the kind of audio big whoosh things that go from like, you know, jumping between the timelines. So that was a big thing. And then it was just kind of, I think a lot. there were a lot of other elements, you know, like the bird and other things that we just, we really wanted to build out the world. So there was a lot of sound stuff and not only just the sound but just like the music as well because we were using all old scores and we started doing that immediately uh, each of the editors just pulling stuff Sam had talked about and that we were that we had talked about immediately so the whole world was was from our first edits even just from our first editor cuts we were doing that very heavily yeah, I would say sound and music is a big thing. And just to add to Justin's thing, the, the bubbles of the fish tank, that's a big thing too in the first episode. And I feel like, Justin, your episode two had the bubbles and that's that was yeah. like a thing in the podcast as well. So You guys mentioned that uh, you'd all worked on Mr. Robot. So I'm wondering what you learned from working with Sam previously that you've carried over into this this project. I'll start on this one. This is Franklin. I actually worked on his indie feature and then the first two seasons of Robot, and I did not wind up working on a season three of Robot. But as Sam's progressed, the toys have become more and more important by way of he realizes what's sort of possible in the editing room now. And instead of like waiting for the mix stage to hear stuff, he really, really wants to now get it right in the editing room and make sure he feels the sound design and feels all these elements. And that obviously, as we talked about with this music concept, he wanted the music that he heard in the room to be the music that he heard on the stage. So getting these vintage scores has all been very important. But again, I think it's just sort of now his sort of ability to exert more control. And it's saying, you know, I get to control all aspects of the auditory experience and making sure the editing is, you know, there as well. But now he's sort of stabilizing lots of different shots. He's got an in-house visual effects team. You know, if we want to see something, we get it mocked up within a few days at the very most. And it's sort of, okay, keep keep moving and keep moving. And, you know, Rosie and Justin both wound up going to set for some of his more sort of complex creations and shots to ensure they cut. And I'm sure they can talk to you more about that. But those kind of luxuries, I think he's using all of those tools at his disposal. And he's been able to really fixate and say, now I basically can get what I'm really looking for top to bottom. And that's, again, comes with sort of the ability of all the people that we all trust him. But also he just keeps hitting out of the park and really done some fantastic work throughout the time that he's been developing all this stuff. 
to add to that, you know, I started on sort of Robot season three and then to go to Homecoming and now Robot again. He's evolved even more so from that. Everything has to be as polished as possible. So all the editors are always spending time just making it as best. And yeah, like whatever we can do, it, it's split screens or whatever it is, it has to look as best as possible when he sees it. So I would say a lot of the work involved is just making things as perfect as possible when he first sees it. And that's a challenge in itself. But, you know, at the end of the day, after we see things, it's like, wow, it looks really good. Yeah, I was, I would say I agree with that stuff as well. I think the other thing, too, is Sam, is that creatively, he's unlike any other director's working and that he has his own rhythm and his own style. To me, like I had done the recent Twin Peaks and he is kind of a director like David in that he has a very particular vision and it's unlike anything else that's out there and he has his own rhythm. And so it's just picking up on that because even though these are TV shows, we don't approach them that way. You know, I think he sees these things as one, one long movie. movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And each chapter is its own mini movie and we want it to feel like that and special and like anything else that's out there. So it's just picking up on what kind of he's into and then you know and then you want to bring your own kind of ideas and stuff to kind of that fits within his vision and franklin you mentioned you would get mock-ups done and things like this so it sounds like you guys are working very much as a team with him almost like almost as a as one of his tools in the storytelling process so i'm wondering how did you work as an editor going on set to help him improve the story that was more, that was Justin and Rosie, actually. So they'll be able to answer that one. Yeah, because I, I went for episode eight, which is the kind of very intercutty episode where Julia is walking through the homecoming facility, as well as uh, Carrasco. And we're kind of cross-cutting between the two of them. For that, we were really wanting, Sam was really wanting to have these match cuts, you know. So for us, it was really about making it visually very impressive episode, you know, and making sure that those things work. So we would just kind of be mocking things up on set and be talking about, we talked some about a little bit about the edits and you know we're moving so fast though on set it's it, you're trying just to get the initial concept right and then we kind of then we'll refine more once we get into the editing room yeah and for me i had to be on location for two days and that was i thought was a little bit tougher because uh i don't know if you've seen the finale yet but there was a road montage and every time they changed location it's like i barely had enough time to check the transitions just because the effects had to line up a certain way. So it was more like they would set up a table for me and I would launch my laptop and then ingest the media and then boom, it's like, it's time to go. So I felt like more behind each time. But yeah, on that day, on those two days, it was more of checking the transitions, checking if the effects were lining up and then doing it as a temp and then coming back and yeah, refining that later on in the cutting room. So that was more like on the go and uh that had his own challenges. But uh, yeah, it was more checking the transition and that's how we helped him in that. Now, Roseanne, you've sort of given us one of the, the challenges you faced. I was wondering, Franklin and Justin, uh, what were some of the challenges you faced when approaching this project? I'll start off as Franklin. For me, I think it was really, you know, we'd all worked on Mr. Robot and that had kind of already established a feel and a look for the, the show and what kind of it was going to be about. And in this, it was a podcast, but obviously a podcast is very different than a TV show. So he had some very specific technical choices he was making. He was going to do these split screens. He was going to shoot with these anamorphic lenses. He was going to have these, you know, the sort of aspect ratio shifting between time. But then the sort of the rhythms of the show and the feel of the show, you know, was it going to be similar to Robot, different from Robot? Where did Sam lie in it? And pacing is very, very important to him. And, you know, even the sort of the pauses between lines can be to the point where he has in his head, oh, no, 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 you need to really milk these awkward moments or you need to really 
they need to see that person. They need to they think about what that line said before they say their line, things of that nature. And we just kind of had to feel that out at the start to really get a sense of, okay, where is he going with this one? What are, what is the sort of fabric of this going to be? And because he blocks shoots pretty much all the work that he's done on TV in the last few years, it means basically he shoots it all out of sequence, similar to a, a movie. So I'm on episode three and I get half of a split screen and I won't get the other half until, I don't know, a good three, four weeks later but this is what I have to work with. So I'm cutting half of a split screen and trying to show him ideas and I and wouldn't work with stuff, but it's all in kind of work in progress. And so it's something that all three of us editors are getting these sort of scenes here and there, and we don't get the complete episodes until usually a, a bit later in the production side of things. So I think to me that the challenge I was trying to deal with was looking at some of the stuff that Rosie was doing on episode one to see, okay, what is he responding to? How is this working? And then, okay, how can that inform what I'm doing? And bring my own kind of ideas to it as well. I mean, the biggest one as, was the music as well for all of us, just because it mm-hmm. was, he had to go, yeah. you know, vintage score from top to bottom. And we were sort of in this conversation with him about, you know, maybe you want to have some vintage score and then maybe bring in a composer to do some of these trickier cues that are very, very specific. And he said, no, it has to be vintage score top to bottom. And so anytime there was any downtime, it was scouring through just dozens and dozens and dozens of old scores, trying to get our hands on, you know, things that are licensable and, and making sure it's the correct master because they re-recorded it over the year, you know, all sorts of yeah. things like that. But then editing it, making him like it, and then sort of going <laughs> to that next. So it's, it's like we have, you know, a good, I have usually six to eight alts uh, at any given cut so that, in the off chance he rejects the music, we, we swap one out right away because for Sam, like sometimes he won't even be able to see the cut without the correct music in because in his head, that tonal moment, that tonal feeling has to be there. Otherwise he can't tell if the edit works. And again, kind of building it out of a first season show, there's a lot of work that goes into that to try to create it. So that was at least the sort of biggest challenges I feel like I faced at the start. And because I had the less material, I could kind of sit back a little bit and watch kind of how it was going with Rosie and with Justin. But but then when you get up to the plate, you're like, okay, <laughs> how's this working? Or, hey, I got a, I got an idea that's a little outside the box. What do you think? You know, um, and all that had to be a back and forth. So, yeah, that was that was my experience. Yeah, my challenges were kind of similar to Franklin's. The only things that I would add was I definitely think technically the toughest thing was probably those split screens because the way Sam did them was actually he had the actors talking to the other person live through an earwig or on the phone when they were um, when they were doing them. But then when he would go shoot the other side, he had the other actors talking live. He didn't just have him do it to recording of a take that he had already done because he wanted the actress just to have as much freedom as possible. Timing-wise, that always was a little bit tricky. I mean, we always made it work and it was always worked out really well, but it makes it tricky when you're lining those very intricate, very long split screens up. And so it can be a bit time consuming to do, but ultimately very rewarding when you get it right. So that would be, I think, the biggest technical challenge. And I think the other just overall creative challenges is even though we've all worked with Sam before and, you know, had done Mr. Robot, he was like, this is not Mr. Robot. We need to establish our own language for this show. So it needs to be different. So he wouldn't let you fall back into tricks, editing rhythms that are too robot-esque or too related to robot. I think there were, there's overlap because it is Sam and, you know, ultimately he has his own thing, but he didn't, he wanted this to be very different than Mr. Robot. 
Yeah, I want to add to the music part. The onset thing was just two days, so that was not actually that big of a problem for me. The music, I felt, uh, you know, to go along with what uh, Franklin had said, you know, when we sat down tonally at the beginning with Sam, it was discussed, you know, what type of sound he wanted, as far as what scores, what ideas. So all the editors constantly, we were finding albums, like nothing was kind of given to us. So we had to kind of go research. Like Franklin would go on iTunes, I would go on Spotify, same with Justin. We would try to just group all this music and everything is like a trial an error type of thing you know we would just put against the scene nothing was given to us at like a list or anything like that so we would try and then at the end you know he'll either say yes or no and then we're back to looking for it and after going through all that it's the clearance part that was kind of a crazy thing they would come back and it's not approved and then we have to find all these things and then there was also this budget to hit and then we were told that oh we have to find a different queue I think that was very much of a challenge because it's once you find the right score, I think for Sam and it's always going to have to be that specific sound. So then to find an alt, it was very, very tough. And yeah, Maggie Phillips and her team did an amazing job finding all the clearance and all that stuff. But for us, it was finding the score, going through the albums and just trying things. And because it's old score, we don't have the stems to work with. So I thought that was one of the biggest things for me. Well, and you mentioned meeting to discuss tone. So I'm wondering what were those discussions like about tone and and how did you take what you learned from those discussions into the editing suite? Well, we mostly had that one meeting, right, guys? We kind of ran with it after that and just send him stuff. And that's how we figured out, like, oh, what he does like, or we will talk to each other. Like, you know, I think Franklin had the first split screen. So then once he figured that out, I'll talk to him. And then Justin had the next one. And then seeing what Sam is responding to. And then, yeah, I think it was just that one meeting. And after that, it was a trial thing. And then talking to the editors with each other. And um, I thought that's how I figured it out. Yeah, I, I feel with like Sam, it's always a continuing conversation. I think you have we have that initial conversation, had an initial meeting, and we were talking about tone. But then it's really, it really is trial and error to kind of nail that. And I think it kind of came about where he talked about wanting to use old score and name some of the stuff he wanted to use, and there were some things he specifically wanted to use for certain episodes. And then from there, it's just throwing things up against picture and getting him to look at things. And I think the conversation is just continually evolving as we were working on the season. To to find the best thing for the show. I don't, but I think it was just the jumping off point for that first meeting. And, and from there, we just it was just a continual process with him. Yeah, I'm going to jump in as well with this. I mean, I think initially we had talked about a lot of sort of 70s thriller references and kind of, you know, Pakula stuff and some of the, like the conversation, you know, various really iconic kind of stuff from the 70s that created this sense of paranoia and this sense of, you know, there's a bigger picture here that you're not quite getting. And is it the government? Is it who? Is it what's happening? And I think those were, again, inspiration points. But even some of those scores wound up kind of trickling through and exploring, you know, different scenes and we would try it out here, try it out there, but it adapted and evolved. I mean, I, I went and, you know, we, we've all sort of deep dove into our own kind of experience with the 70s sort of thriller stuff, but then also say, okay, once we kind of dug into the scores, we're like, well, actually, John Carpenter has a lot of really interesting stuff too. And although he's more in the horror genre, there is this sort of interesting kind of blend of it all. And, and it all was sort of, you know, in service of saying, okay, we don't want this to be just a straight up, remake of a 70s thing. And I, and we knew that Sam didn't want that from the beginning. We wanted to synthesize these elements to create something new and different and unique. And the hope was that along the way, if we stumbled upon something that we all dug, it would be like, check this out. What do you think? How is this working for you or not? And the music thing was this constant kind of circle where 
And especially for those of us that had episodes with these tender moments, it was a very difficult thing to find tonally as far as exactly what fit. Because when you look back at those movies, the music is oftentimes very big and broad, and they usually don't have the kind of ebb and flow of a lot of the modern stuff that is done now. And, you know, getting into that kind of weird realm of this is totally not intended for a scene of this nature, but it works and it fits. And suddenly we have a kind of budding romance scored with chariots of fire that kind of feels right. And we're like, okay, there you go. And that's something I think all of us really value is that he doesn't want to make a remake of anything. He doesn't want to make something that, you know, and he even talked about this on the interviews he had with cinematographers for Robot. He's like, I want someone to say the homecoming style, the robot style. I don't want someone to say, oh, well, they borrowed from so-and-so and that was the Coppola thing and they just did what Coppola did. It's like, no, 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 they did something on their own that created this unique style and dynamic, which again, we get to be a part of that ground floor of creating it with him. And obviously it all stops with him, but you know, we're trying stuff out and exploring and, you know, all that along the way. So to sort of expand on that, there's the one-to-one aspect ratio for the future scenes. Did you guys approach those scenes differently from the past? Or like, how did you guys put a mark on it? Because obviously visually it looks different, but did you edit it in a different way? I, I attack each scene the way each scene is. So I didn't do it any different than I would attack any other scene. And when it came, because it was, you know, we would put that one-to-one thing, I would just mark it down as 2022. And, and you kind of see it when the Carrasco character and, and Heidi's hair is different. So for me, when I get the scene, it wasn't any different than any other scene. It's just what was given to me, what the tone is for that scene. And I worked it that way. I think the difference was more indicative of just the tone of the performance. So I don't think you had to go out of your way because the performers are so good. Mm-hmm. You don't need to necessarily do too much else except just be true to what is happening in the scene. I think physically getting the footage, they were framing that for the one-to-one framing, you know, and we would just put a mat on while we were editing. I think the performances were so good, the direction so good. You actually don't need to do too much except just stay true to the material. Yeah, and I agree with all that. I mean, the only thing I would say from a technical standpoint that I found was just again, sort of the shot reverse shot experiences, because not only did he do the one-to-one framing, but there was a lot of sort of people in the center of frame looking off to the right. And in our widescreen universe, we create negative space or, or space to kind of give you that kind of feeling of, okay, great. You know, when you cut back and forth, it can be a little bit easier matching of eye lines and things like that. It was just getting a little bit accustomed to saying, okay, some of these frames are going to be a little bit wacky and a little bit unexpected. And, you know, you just sort of in the edit as you're going, if there's a weird graphic match that starts to bug you or because he was using these vintage anamorphic lenses, I had some experiences where they kind of made the characters feel a little bit distorted depending on how far they were away. So I would look and see, okay, should I squeeze this frame slightly or not? But overall, it was something that all really, again, the performances were just what we needed to fixate on and they were just like flashbacks. So that's what we were, uh, you know, kind of cutting there. Now, I have two more questions. My first one is going to be kind of specific to one of you probably the scene in which julia roberts realizes what homecoming is is a long scene yet it's very compelling and interesting so i'm wondering can you take me through your approach of how you edited that and just to keep people focused and engaged 
Yeah, that was mine. Um, I think with that, I mean, I think part of that episode and the fun about that episode is the intercutting that was in a weird way to me was maybe one of the easier ones. To cut. I mean, none of them were easy, but it, that one was a lot of fun because number one, I just I've done a lot of intercutting with Sam on some of the other episodes. So there's a lot to play with when we do those. And so there's definitely an element of them of the kind of a little bit of cat and mouse with Carrasco and Julia's character as they go through. And then in a way, what happened is you needed to actually slow it down because the episode is very propulsive. And so you wanted to kind of slow it down so you could just focus on Julia's character. So in a, in a way, the narrative structure of that episode made it easy because I just felt like you were so with her through that journey, you know, to the series, but then simply through that episode that I think it was just making sure let's slow that particular scene down a little bit. And so we have a focus on the Heidi character and what that realization is. So it was actually a lot of fun. I think there's also just so much in Julia's face that you, um, you know, it's kind of an abundance of riches when you work with Sam, particularly on this show, that you almost just need to stay true and honest to the uh, show and kind of get the editor out of the way and just pay attention to the material and not feel like you have to be cutting or doing too much. That was my experience, at least strictly on that sequence. Now, my final question, and I just do this one for, for fun with everyone I interview, and that's what's your favorite guilty pleasure films to watch? Um, I can start. I love The Shining. That's one of my favorites. I watch every year. Um, I would say Shawshank Redemption or Heat. I love Casino. I love Scorsese. Those are my favorites. So. This is Franklin. I'm into sort of guilty pleasures, like kind of wackier stuff, a little like the Road Warrior worlds that are created out of nothing that are just like, okay, this is uh, this is bananas and yet visually astute and different and, you know, things of that nature. Um, I really dug Edge of Tomorrow, the Tom Cruise movie. Again, I don't know why it just fits. There's a weird little thing. It just poked in my brain where I go, this is a lot of fun. I'm into this, even though, you know, maybe it's not the most prestigious fair that out there. Um, yeah, that kind of stuff that I really kind of dig. I mean, I think that film's amazing. I don't even think it's a guilty pleasure. I think that's one of the great sci-fi films of the, of the, of the new century. I mean, I, I really do think that's a very special film, and I wish it just got... I mean, I think there's a big cult for it now, but I think it's fantastic. I think it's an amazing performance by Tom Cruise, an amazing performance by Emily Blunt. But uh, <laughs> for me, I think as far as guilty pleasures, I mean, there's so many. If we're talking just stuff I almost should be embarrassed about, I mean, I'm a huge John Carpenter fan, and so Big Trouble in Little China probably gets played once a year at my house. You know, it's kind of wacky and over the top and cartoonish, but a lot of fun. Um, I don't know that I have guilty pleasures. Just sort of, there's just so much out there and so much to watch from that to, you know, any of the Scorsese films to watching old Buddhist Westerns. You know, I just think there's so much out there. And I think we're lucky that there's so much access to it. It's a little overwhelming nowadays. Well, thank you guys for allowing me to interview. It was great to talk to you. Yeah, thank you for having us. Yeah. Have a good day, guys. You too, too. So that was my interview with the team that cut Homecoming. I'd like to thank Franklin Peterson, Justin Crone, and Roseanne Tan for joining me. I'd also like to thank Niraj Patel for cutting this episode. I'm your host, Gordon Burkell. Thanks for listening.